Today is the November 15th, 2020 meeting of Hope Bible Church. Steve Hogan's message is titled, The Psalms and Prophecy, Part 1. If you'd like to support our sermon audio ministry, please click the Give button on our sermon audio homepage. Thank you. Good morning. Today's reading is Psalm 96. We will be reading the entire psalm. And uh, there are uh, Bibles in the pews if you choose to read one there or one of your own. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the fields exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. Good morning. Good to see all of you. We had a good week. Sometimes we say that tritely, you know, and just a little sane, but has it been a good week? You know, uh, as as people, there's well, there's that verse, Psalm twenty three six. You know it all says, "Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever." And indeed, that that first word there, surely goodness, the goodness word, is what God wants to understand about the life that He has for us. And 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 oftentimes we we might say it's been a good week, but God wants you to be one who processes it in your mind and realizes, yeah, it has been a good week. Because and a week really is only a good week when you see how the Lord has been involved in your life, how you have seen his goodness and mercy, how you've seen the Lord helping you along the way. So it's very important, and it's intriguing that it says, surely goodness will follow me all the days. Uh, I mean, he doesn't say weeks. He doesn't say years. He, he could have done that, but he says days. That is, this understanding of God's goodness on a daily basis is important for us to, 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 to know. And, and part of my purpose here as a pastor, is to share truth that helps you to process life, helps you know how to live life and and see life the way God wants you to see it. And oftentimes we don't. And we're going along and we're thinking our own thoughts or maybe somebody else's influences in a way maybe it's not the best. We need to understand what does God say? How does he want me to process the life that I'm living today? And so anyway, so that's what we, we, we understand. We 
Um, had a week here where a little storm hit us in the middle of the week, and we're fortunate. Uh, we all know this in Tampa. Uh, Tampa has been spared for years of really having a, a major, major, major hurricane. I don't I remember the last time we had a, a three or four, one or two maybe 15 years ago, but not much. So God's been good. Anyway, as Christians, God wants us to be ones who are forward-looking. That doesn't mean we're not supposed to live in the present. Of course, we are to live in the present, but we're to live our life in the present with an eye to the future, with the future in view. Many, many people live their lives in view of the past. I'm not saying the majority, but a lot of people do. Uh, that is, they think about the past way too much, whether they think about the negative or bad things that have happened, whether they think about the, uh, or whether they think about the good things, uh, the encouraging things that have taken place. My point is that you don't want to be backward looking. You want, don't want to live your life in view of the past. You want to live your life in view of the future. And, and that's, that's what, that's what God wants for each one of us here. And so today, uh, living today means you need to understand prophecy. Living, that is living your life today and view the future means you understand prophecy. And prophecy is just that part of God's word that talks about the future that God has for us as Christians. And many of the songs that we sang today related to that. And, uh, and there's, there's a lot of prophecy passages in the Bible, many, and we've talked about some here, and there's gonna, a lot more we're going to talk about today, but both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're going to see these prophecy passages, and, 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 and what we need to see is that God's working with the Jews is, is going to be that which is, is converging then with his work with their Christians. And this will take place more and more so in the end times, and particularly as we look into the millennial kingdom and talk about the coming age. But even the songs we sang, it was a little intriguing song, the second song, Rejoice the Lord is King, written by Charles West, is a great song. I mean, the words, I was sort of analyzing the words for singing, I was singing, but they're good words. And his eschatology, his prophecy is pretty much right on there. But, but he was a Christian, he lived back in the 1700s, and he wrote about the Christ was coming again. Then you go to the next psalm, Psalm 98, that's about prophecy too. And, and both those songs, I don't know if you notice it, both talk about the Lord is coming to judge. And, and so that the point I'm saying is you have this second song about the church age and Christ coming, and this third song, Psalm 98, is about the Old Testament things and the Jews, and all these things are going to converge together. Okay, that's, that's, that's what you need to understand. Uh, the, the example that I've shared in the past, but this is probably one of the classics, is uh, Psalm 37, 11 says, The humble will inherit the land. Matthew 5, 5 says, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Gentle and humble are very similar words. So it says, you, you, Jews here, you, 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 you know, Jews will... Jewish believers will inherit the earth, but Christians will too. That's what's going to happen. So the promise in Psalm 37 then is really the same as the promise then in Matthew chapter 5, one for the Jewish believers and other believers in the Old Testament times, but then the one for the Christians during this church age. This means that all believers, whether from Old Testament times or during this church age, we will together then inherit the earth. That's what he's saying. All believers will all inherit it. Turn to 11, Hebrews 11. A verse we've looked at before, but in this context, I'm trying to make just one main point for here, point for you here. But but Hebrews eleven thirty nine is is a key verse to, to really really understand, and we'll go over it again because I want to make sure you understand it clearly. Eleven thirty nine and forty. This Hebrews eleven is about, of course, these Old Testament believers and how they had faith and they also had hope. They had both faith and hope. And verse 39 and says, And all these, these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what God, what was promised. Go back to verse 13, this, the same chapter. 
says all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. So really clear, it says those people in the Old Testament time, they didn't receive the promises. God made promises to them about the future. They didn't receive them. They didn't see them. They received them. They didn't see them. They, they weren't actualized in their own life. That's what it, it tells us there. Now, now verse 40 of, of Hebrews 11 says, because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. And so you have to understand the word us is referring to who? Christians during the church age. It's us. And they's referring to who? Believers from the Old Testament times. You have to see that. So it says it's all going to come together. Apart from us, they could not be made perfect. Now, you have to understand this word perfect can also mean completion. So what verse 40 is saying is the Christians will see the promises that God made to them fulfilled, completed, when the promises for the Jews are fulfilled and completed. That's, that's what he's saying. There. It's all going to come together, converge in the end times and in the kingdom ages to come. And so we have to understand that, that Christians will be blessed in the same way, that, or a similar way, may not say exactly the same, but in a very similar way that the Old Testament believers will be blessed. And, and the reason I say this is because it really affects how we understand prophecy and it affects how we understand both Old Testament and New Testament prophecy. So here's, here's the point then, is, is many New Testament prophecies talk about what's going to happen when, when Christ comes back, okay? And, and, and what the New Testament prophecies, I'm going to say this in a very general way, they focus on what happens right before Christ comes back, like we read about the birth pains in Matthew 24, read about the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and also Revelation 13, about what happens right before Christ comes back, but also talks about what happens Right when Christ comes back, you read First Thessalonians four fifteen to seventeen talks about trumpets and 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 the angels shouting and the voice of the, the the Lord. All these things taking place. So it talks about what happens before, what happens right when He comes back. It also talks about this again. This New Testament prophecy talks about what happens right after Christ comes back. You go to Revelation eight and nine. We just mentioned He's going to come to judge the world. That's the day of the Lord. Verse chapters ten and eleven are talking about the Jews and what's happened to the Jews. So so it focuses on what happened before, when he comes, and after he comes. You go to the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament do? It talks some, and you know this, the prophecies about Christ's first coming, Micah 5, 2, about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. You know, uh, Isaiah 7, 14, born of a virgin. You know those verses. And other verses about Christ's first coming and what took place. But it talks mostly, the prophecies in the Old Testament for the Jews, the promises talk mostly about what happens when Christ comes again. Okay, the second coming, even though back then they didn't understand the distinguishing between a first and second coming. But now we know that most of the prophecies of the Old Testament talk more about the kingdom age that we set up on this earth, particularly what we now know to be the millennial kingdom. That, that's, that's what was taking place. And so the, the point here is this. Here's the main point. Uh, most Old Testament prophecies then describe the future of the Christian. And again, for you to really understand the future that God has for you, you have to understand Old Testament prophecy. That is my point. That is the main point for today. And so there's all these prophecies, you know. I mean, even, even we'll go into it, but we'll talk about it more. Psalm 113, we sang that. It was our first song. Now, you could say that relates to now, this age. It does, but it also relates to the future. And for you as a discerning Christian, you need to understand how to read the Old Testament and see, was this about back then, or is this going to be about us as well? Not that we can understand everything perfectly. We're just humans and have a human mind. But God does give us discernment to see, wow, Psalm 113, we sang that, can relate to the future, the millennial kingdom, okay? And we're going to see a lot more of that because my purpose today here is to go through the book of Psalms. And we're going to talk about it this week 
and next week. Again, again, we all, we all read Psalms, I believe, and, and there's a lot of things, but most Christians don't understand how it talks about prophecy. Now, the prophecies made back then relate to us, not so much now, but really in the kingdom age to come, okay? So we're going to go through things in sort of a brief way. We could take a long, long time, but we're going to talk about it this week and then next week, and we're going to run through all 150, not going to look at all 150 Psalms, but we're going to pick out the Psalms that are, are primarily prophetic, okay, or prophetic passages in particular Psalms. That's, that's my purpose today and again next week. Psalm 2, we're not going to even read it. We've talked about this, Steve sang it, and, and I'm going to probably be sharing the same things that he, that he sang. But, but let me summarize what this is saying. It's talking about the nations. It starts off verse 1 and 2, the nations and the ungodly rulers, the ungodly people, peoples of the world are against God and do not want God to set up his kingdom on this earth. Okay, that's, that's the point. But what we also understand, and what's in that psalm, is that God then has appointed his son then to be the king, to be the one who will be the ruler over this world. That's what he's done. And he has then given his son the inheritance. This is being the nations of the world, and he's to rule over this world. That is what he's still to do. But we understand this will take place after Christ comes back to judge the nations. And this will take place when the kingdoms of the world become Christ's kingdom. The verse that's, that says that clearly, and again, there's, there's certain verses that are just classic verses you need to know. This is that Revelation eleven fifteen. It says just that. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. That takes place at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, which takes place right at the end of Daniel's 70th week. A seven-year time period was loaded with prophetic things, but right at the end is when Christ then takes over and he then is the king. Psalm 8. Let's turn there. Some psalms will read, some will just comment on. This one I want you to read. Look here. And, and to see how this relates to prophecy, okay? Psalm 8. It says there in verse, uh, start in verse 4. When, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the pass of the sea. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now it says there in verse 4 that we're made a little lower than God, that we are crowned with glory and majesty. Now I know some might dispute this, and some say, well, that's referring to all people in the world. You could say that in one hand. But I think the real focus of this psalm is, is speaking about people who are believers, like us who are Christians, and that we are then are made to rule over this earth. Now, we all understand Genesis 1 and 2. We know Adam and Eve were there, and they sinned, right? But in Genesis 1 and 2, they are still perfect. And what were they doing? We know from Genesis 2, they were ruling over the world that God had given them direction they were to be ruling. That was their job. They were to be ruling over the world, and they did that. Then they sinned, verse 3, and bad things happened. Their lives were cursed, and the world was cursed. But, but to some degree, then, we could say, and I say to some degree, that we as Christians, and other people too, I'll say it loosely, are ruling now, but not to the degree that God wants. We know from Revelation verse chapter 5, verse 10, and Revelation 20, verse 6, that we will be reigning with Christ over the world during the millennial kingdom. That relates right here, okay? You've made him to rule over the works of your hands. That's verse 6. So when we're going to really see this play out, when I really see this come to life to be true, is the millennial kingdom when we will rule. And then, as you know, 
as Christians, will be glorified. We'll be perfectly ruling, just like Adam and Eve were perfectly ruling back in Genesis 1 and 2. We'll be perfectly ruling over the world during the time, over everything. That's the whole point. We'll be reigning and ruling with Christ over the world, and God, of course, will be Christ specifically delegating us specific responsibilities. So we're going to go. Now, this, this is not the only sense of what I'm saying today is that we're going chronologically through Psalms because we're going to jump from that topic about ruling over the world to now the next topic, Psalm 9, about, about Christ is judging, okay? So just to understand, is there a real order to the Psalms? Well, it's just because they're numbered a certain way, but I'm going to point out what they say prophetically, even though they may not be uh, in a particular order in your own mind. Psalm 9, verses 5 to 8 says, you've rebuked the nations, you've destroyed the wicked, you've blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins, and you've uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished, but the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. The Lord also be a stronghold for the press, a stronghold in times of trouble. We see here clearly that God is judging nations. And God's judged nations throughout history. We understand that whether it's cities or countries, you go back to, you know, back and judge the world in the times of Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah. This is Genesis 18, 19. So we see this judgment of God, but this judgment of God upon the world is going to be clearly seen then in the end times. But, but here it says, and the reason I say this relates to the future, that verse we read, it says their name will be blotted out forever and ever. ever. The enemy has come to an end. Perpetual ruins, it says. This hasn't happened yet, okay? So, so the, the whole context, the flavor of this psalm is, is talking about the future. That next verse says, the Lord abides forever. The Lord rules forever. The Lord reigns forever. So you get this sense of, yeah, we're here now, but Christ is going to come and judge, and, and, and the unbelievers, their names will be blotted out forever. But Christ will be abiding, and he will be one who is ruling. You go to verses 17 and 18 of the same psalm. The wicked will return to Sheol, even all the nations who forget God. For the needy will not be always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted perish. Um, Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. So, so what's going to happen then is, as we read that that the, um, the the wicked people they'll they'll go to Sheol. That's the abode of the dead. That's the place called hell. So, so you have this understanding of God's judgment happening throughout history, but in particular in the future it'll take place, and He will then be ruling and reigning, and believers will then will be judged forever. Psalm 11, similar in some ways, verses 3 to 7, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he'll rain snares, fire and brimstone, and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, and the upright will behold his face. I believe this is prophetic too. Of course, we understand that the foundations of a particular city or country have been destroyed. That is, throughout history, we've seen this cycle of here's this country. It goes on for 100 years, 200, 300 years. We had this with the Roman Empire. Okay, they went on for three, four, five hundred 500 years, and the foundations were destroyed, okay? And we see that in our country. It's obvious. I mean, you, you can't help but see what's going on in our country. That, And I'll say this in a very general way, that over the last 60, 70 years, 80 years, we've, we've a more or less a more moral country. 
and we're becoming more and more of an immoral country. You know what I'm saying? That's just the way it is. You can see it with the sin and the unrighteousness and the laws and all kinds of things that are taking place from a moral country to an immoral country. That is, the foundations in our own country are being destroyed before our very eyes. That's what's happening, okay? And, and you can not like that and be grieved by it, but that, that's the kind of thing that takes place. But what we understand is that in the end times, it's going to be worse than ever. We read here, it says, Upon the wicked he will rain snares, fire and brimstone will be the portion of their cup. And uh, this is, I believe, referring or can refer to an unbelievably punished. A very similar statement said in Revelation chapter 14, verse 11, says, He will be tormented, unbelievably tormented with fire and brimstone. Same words in the presence of the Lord and of his holy angels. So, so you can see this eschatological, this prophetic sense here in, in the, these verses here. But then it says there, the upright, that last verse, will behold his face. And of course, none of us here have seen Jesus yet, right? <laughs> we just haven't. We will see his face. We will see his face. We will behold him. We will be with him and be in his presence forever. Turn to First Thessalonians 5. And this theme is, is shared in, in different prophecy passages. We see it here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, but chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, and it says there, God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. That's what it says. And then verse 17 in the previous chapter, we shall always be with the Lord. That sense of being with the Lord, being in his presence, seeing him, being face to face. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, I think verse 12, it says, uh, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. You see, while we walk by faith, then we will be ones who are walking by sight. We continue on in Psalms. Go to chapter 16. Chapter 16. And, and, and much of this really is, is about Christ, but I want you to help you to see how it relates to us as well. We'll go to just verses 10 and 11. It says, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You'll make known to me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. This, this prophecy is about Christ. It's about how he died, but he didn't stay dead. He didn't decay, but he was raised from the dead. He had a future. He had a purpose, he had a relationship with God himself, and he would experience God's blessings and pleasure forever and ever, okay? So it's about Christ, but we can also say it's about us in this sense. You go to Romans 8, 17, a really amazing verse. It says there in Romans 8, 17 that we as Christians, talk about the Christians, of course, that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. That's an astounding statement. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, that is, we share and the inheritance with Christ? I mean, Christ has got the world. We inherit the earth too. We, we read that from Matthew 5, Psalm 37. So that's amazing. So, so that relates, I'm tying in with this psalm right here. That, that's the point, is that, that we may die or we may be raptured. Either way, then we, you know, we're going to be living forever. That's the idea. We too have a future. God's given us a future. He's given us a purpose. We too then will, will have a relationship with God and with Christ. We too will share in the inheritance forever. We too then will experience blessings and pleasures forever because we're fellow heirs with Christ. That's the point. That's the thing that we need to see and understand. Tying in this verse here then with New Testament prophecy, that verse from Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Psalm 22. Again, I'm, I'm just picking out certain what I believe are fairly obvious, 
uh, passages that relate to prophecy. And there's others. You can read others sometime and see how does this relate to the present or the past or the future or, or, or to all three. Um, Psalm 22 uh, is, is one of those first coming, second coming psalms. Not many of these, really. I don't, maybe this is, I, I have not really studied this, but this, it talks about Christ's first coming and it talks about his death and, and resurrection, but it also talks about his second coming. Of course, my purpose today is to focus on second coming verses from Psalms. So let's look at verses 27 to 31, see how this then relates to the uh, second coming of Christ. 17, excuse me, 27 rather, says, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will worship before you, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him, even he who cannot keep his soul alive. Posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. Clearly, this is about Christ coming again. You, you, can't, you can't miss it. This is, this is about the future for two reasons. First, that, that first verse, all the ends of the earth will remember. And turn to the Lord. Has that happened yet? No, not at all. Then and all the families of the nations will worship before you. Has that happened yet? Not at all. And that's one way you can understand these verses. Has it happened yet? This hasn't happened yet, but it will. Then it says the, king, it says the kingdom is the Lord's. Right now, this world is whose? Who runs the world? This earth is Satan's kingdom, but it will be the Lord's kingdom. That's what's going to happen. It says he rules over the nations. Obviously, that is not happening now. Yes, he's sovereign, but he's not actively ruling over the nations like we read in this psalm and many other psalms, but he will. And he will do this then during the millennial kingdom. So it's just, it's a classic. I just like this Psalm 22, the, the first and the second coming parts. This chapter 29, we continue on. Verses 1 and 2. It says, ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. This talks about the power of the Lord. It talks about the glory of the Lord. It also talks about how we're to worship the Lord on this earth. Then you go to verses 10 and 11. And it says, the Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Now, you might say, well, this is pretty vague, Steve. I, I get this here. Well, the Lord will be king forever. Okay, that's what's obvious. Now, we see different ways. He was king at the flood. Well, he wasn't actually on the earth, but he was king. But he'll be king in, in a different way in the millennial kingdom where he'll be seen. He'll be seen to be king as he's reigning from Jerusalem. But, but the thing, too, is that, that we, he, it says that he'll give us strength and peace, right? And this is true today. God gives every one of you here strength and peace. Isn't that true? He does that. But... But the fulfillment of that, the clear fulfillment, when, when you're just filled with the strength and peace of God on an everyday basis, is still to come. The fulfillment of what God's talking about here is still yet to come. That's what I'm saying. Even though it may not be clearly stated that way, we, we can understand. Again, I'm, I'm trying to help you to think, because again, most Christians will think about what? How do they think about life? I'm here on earth, then I go to heaven. They think that way. I mean, that's really true, right? Isn't that true? That's how I thought for the first oh, 10, 20 years of my Christian life. I'm here, and I go to heaven. But there wasn't much talk about this, and I'm trying to help you see that there's this age now, this church age. Then there's a kingdom age, thousand years, then the eternal kingdom age. And my focus 
And a lot of what I teach is on this kingdom age, and that's the hope we need to be thinking about. So that's part of why I, I talk this way, to help you see, because if we don't think rightly about the future, that's what I start off, you don't think rightly about the future, you can't live rightly in the present. And so understanding where things are going, because now, I mean, things are rough in this world. They're going to get rougher. I, I hate to say that. I mean, you say, well, it's a rough year. Well, we're going to have a lot more 2020s, okay? You heard it here. We're going to have a lot more 2020s. Well, I can't wait till January 1st, 2020. I don't know what 2021 is about. God only knows. But I'm saying in general, it's going to get rougher. Things are going to get worse before they get better. It only really gets better when Christ comes back. Okay, that's the point. We have to see this. We are in the end times. Birth pains, all kinds of stuff happening. Antichrist comes, more persecution, more anti-Semitism, all kinds of things. That, that's the truth. And I'm trying to get you upset. I'm telling you the truth. God wants to know what's true and right. So we continue on. Psalm 33, 10 and 12. Psalm 33. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. There's, there's, you might have heard this phrase, and I'm not studied a lot. Some people do study these things a lot. It's called the global reset. There's a lot of people out there who are the globalists, elite, the powerful, the rich, the rulers. We need a global reset. We need to change things, how things are done in this world. And they're talking about that. They really are. There's a lot of people. We need to change a lot of things, okay? So Bill Gates last week was talking to Boris Johnson about the next pandemic. And we need to talk about how to reshape things in the world so this next pandemic, we can have it under control. I'm just saying, that's how people think. But what's it say here? What's it say? The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. The next verse, the counsel of the, the Lord stands forever, and, and the plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation. Who's he talking about there? Of course, Israel. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So clearly, and, and again, sometimes it's hard for us to see this big picture, but clearly God will frustrate the plans of the nations, but his plans for Israel will stand and will be fulfilled. That's, that's what he's saying here. And they'll be the most blessed country ever seen in the history of this world. And as Christians, we will then share in that blessing. That's what I'm saying. So whatever happens, I mean, I, I, I love to watch the news. Sometimes I probably like to watch it too much, but I like to know what's going on in the world. It says the men of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel should do. That's First Chronicles 12, 32. Understand what's going on, at least to a degree. We need to see, have our eyes open, not have our heads in the sand, so to speak. We continue Psalm 37. Now this is, has become my favorite chapter in the last month or two because all kinds of stuff's happening. And the first phrase is what? Do not fret. You think he says it lightly? No, strongly. Do not fret. And, and you really, and I'm going to just say this in general now, is that you need to read this. You need to read this again and again and again. You need to read it and read it. And, and now I'm going to summarize it. Just in two minutes, I'll summarize what it says. God will punish the evil, the sinful, the wicked people. A few verses, 9 and 10 of that chapter. It says, the evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. In a little while, the wicked man will be no more. You look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. 14 and 15. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy to slay those who are upright in heart. Their sword will enter their own heart, and their bows will be broken. I'm not going to go into details here, but if you've been reading the news at all, 
and seeing some of the tweets, some of the statements by people, you can see how it's going to come to pass, and I think in the not-too-distant future, when enemies of Christians are going to put us on a list. You know, like some of us said, you, these guys can't get jobs. I mean, we're going to be put on a list. That is going to happen. We will be marginalized. We'll be ostracized. We'll be persecuted. And I, I think if you're watching the news, you can see, huh, I can see how this can happen in this country. Even just recently, this is sort of sad. They, they, they had this law passed in Scotland. I, I don't know all the details, but it's a law about hate speech. And so they wonder now if certain portions of the Bible be banned because, hey, certain things are said in the Bible about other people, you know, wow. And so, but the law is very loosely written, and you could have a judge interpret that in a way that could really put us Christians down, okay? So I, I'm just saying, we, we, we read these things, we need to see what's coming. Verse 17, same chapter, the arms of the wicked will be broken, the Lord sustains the righteous. Verse 20, he says, um, the wicked will perish, the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the passion. And it goes on, I'm not going to read them all, there's, there's more there, okay, about the wicked and what will happen to them. So that's the first point. God will punish the, the evil. That, and that's the first main point. The second point is that God will bless the righteous, the humble. So you go to verse 6. He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday sun. Verse 9, he says, evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. And verse 11, the humble shall, will inherit the land, will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Verse 18, it says, the Lord knows the days of the blameless, their inheritance will be forever. And verse 22, for those blessed by him will inherit the land. Okay, there's more. I'm just going quickly here. So the one point is what? God punishes the evil. The other point, he blesses the righteous and they will inherit the land. That phrase, inherit the land, repeated five different times. So that's the main point. That's it. When do we inherit the land? Now? No. Kingdom age. Next age. Okay. We're strangers on this earth. Strangers. We're just passing through. This is, is not our real home, if I can say it the way. Not that you don't live in houses. I understand that. But this is not our real home, spiritually speaking. As it says in Ephesians 2, it says we are seated in the heavens. We are heavenly citizens at this very time. Even when God then has left us on earth so we can do the work he wants us to do. And so clearly these blessings of the righteous are speaking of the future for both the believers from the Old Testament times, as I said, 37.11 is Old Testament, and Matthew 5, verse 4 is New Testament. The meek will inherit the earth. We continue, Psalm 45. Verses 1 through 6 says, uh, my heart overflows the good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Speaking clearly of who? Jesus Christ, the king. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and your majesty, and your majesty ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp. The people fall under your under you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemy. So this is about the king, about Christ, that he will gird his sword on his thigh, and he then will defeat the enemies. He'll be victorious over the enemies, and he will then have a righteous kingdom and he will reign forever. Clearly, that's understood from the psalm. And of course, we know too, then we will reign with him. We will reign forever with him. Now, one interesting note here, I just, I have not said this out a lot, but I was looking at the, the Hebrew this morning on this just to try to verify. Look at the last 16 and 17. 
It says, in place of your fathers will be your sons. You shall make them princes in all the earth. The word princes could mean captain or chief or ruler. And I think that relates to believers, whether it's Old Testament believers or church-age believers, will be princes, captains, chiefs, ruling, reigning with Christ. You see, see what I'm saying? This is Old Testament, of course, but it relates, again, to the New Testament, that God's going to bless us, we're going to reign together with him, calling them the sons, they're ones who are princes in all the earth. We'll be reigning over the entire world. Psalm 46, not going to go through the first part. This is definitely eschatological, that it's prophetic. The first part talks about all these wars and earthquakes. We've had wars, wars and earthquakes. We all understand that. But, but there's something special about this psalm. It says he's going to make wars and earthquakes come to an end. And he, and he says there he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. It's not happened yet, has it? <laughs> Obviously it's not happened. There's wars all over. There's conflicts. All that. It's, just, it's the way it is. He's going to bring them to an end. And this is the important part. I think most of you know this verse, but this is, this is a classic verse that you have to have in your heart. Cease striving and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. Sometimes I get anxious. Sometimes I worry. And I know that every one of you are like that to some degree. Right? And that version says, be still. It doesn't say check out a life. It says just stop worrying. Stop being anxious. Stop being upset. Stop striving. Stop it. Stop it. That's the first thing. What's the second thing he says? No. Time is coming. I will be exalted and everything will be better. Right now, it's not. We got problems, crime, you know, leaders, whatever, all kinds of wars, stuff going on. It's not good. Be still. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted on the earth. That's what he is telling us so clearly. Then verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. This Christ, this our Father, he is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Again, a, a, a great verse that's going to take place here in the future. Psalm 47, we've looked at this before, but again in this context of looking at these verses Psalm 47, the whole chapter talks about the future and how Christ will be king over the world. Let's just read a few verses. Verse 1, oh, clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with a voice of joy, for the Lord Most High is to be feared. A great king over all the earth. He subdues people under us and nations under our feet. He chooses our inheritance for us, the glory of Jacob, whom we love. So you read that. It's a Jewish psalm. Verse 4, he chooses our inheritance for us. The Jews, Jewish believers will be blessed, but we know from the New Testament what? We will inherit the earth too. We'll be blessed in a similar way as they are. How that all looks, we, we don't understand how it all looks in the future. But we see here that the king is to be feared, he's to be praised, and, and, and it says we're to sing to him, we're to shout to him, we're to understand that he will subdue the nations and, and that the Jewish believers, uh, they'll be blessed, and of course we then will be blessed with them. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, 25, I want to tie that in here. You can jot that down if you want, but... This is speaking of the millennial kingdom, and it's referring to how God, Christ, that is, is going to subdue the nations. He's going to put down the enemies, and it says there, Christ must reign 
until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Talking about the millennial kingdom. I'm not going to read the context, but that's what it's about. Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, which is what Psalm 47 is saying. And so many other verses are saying in the Psalms about Christ has to subdue the enemies. He has to defeat the enemies. He has to judge the nations. That's what he's doing, okay? And that's what it says here in Psalm 47. Psalm 48. Verses 1 through 5. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth, is Mount Zion, the far north, the city of the great king. God in her palaces has made himself known as a stronghold. For lo, the kings assembled themselves. They passed by together. They saw it. Then they were amazed and they were terrified. They fled in Alarm. Now, one of the main themes of this psalm here is, is talks about this city of God, this Mount Zion, and that is referring to what? What city today? What city in the future? What is it? Jerusalem. That's what it is. Clearly, that's what they're talking about. The city of God is Mount Zion. Phrases used interchangeably to talk about Jerusalem. And it says we're to praise the Lord. And we also see here that the kings are afraid. So, so you, you imagine, again, when you think about prophecy, and you know this, is that it doesn't give you all the details. And so what does this mean? The kings of the nations are afraid. What's that going to look like in the next? I don't know. All I know is that Christ is king in, in Jerusalem and he's with other believers and they're reigning over the world and there's nations out there that are still unbelieving nations and they are afraid, they are terrified because he is ruling, as it says, uh, different places. He rules with a rod of iron and there will be immediate justice. Okay, And I think part of that justice will be that which is executed through us as believers when we are helping Christ to reign over this world. It says we are in charge of ten cities in one place. So uh, we will be helping Christ with regard to that. But the thing is, is, is God will be subduing these nations. And, and again, we don't know what this looks like. Again, what, I, I look at prophecy, and, and, and prophecy to me is an outline. We don't have all the details it might be a pretty good outline. It might have point one, then a points A, B, and C under that, and then a point two and A, B, and C. But it's an outline. And so don't don't worry. Some people, I, I, I prophecy, they, they share things and they go beyond what they said. And I don't ever want to go beyond what is written. Uh, that is, they extrapolate too far, trying to fill in this outline with more details than I think they ought. So the point is, as you read prophecy, don't get frustrated. You don't understand it all. Just what does it say? What does it tell you? Learn what you can, and, and, and we go from there. That's what I, I try to do here. So, verses 9 and 10. We have thought on your loving kindness, O God, in the midst of your temple, as is your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Talking about people who are in uh, Jerusalem, and, and what are they doing? What's one of the main things they're doing? They're thinking about, they're meditating on the love of God. That is the love that God has for them. That's what it's saying. And that's important. This is important for our lives today. I mean, this is something we should do every day. Uh, we, we have communion once a month. That's part of the idea there is to meditate on the love of God. But you need this every day. Your heart needs to be strengthened with the love of God. You really need to be strengthened with that love, as it says in Psalm 90, verse 12, 14. Satisfy me in the morning with your unfailing love that I might sing for joy all my days. See, every day you need to be satisfied. You, you want that. You don't want to leave house until your soul, at least to some degree, has been satisfied with the love of God. Okay, you got that? Satisfy me in the morning with your unfailing love that I might sing for joy and be glad all my days. So so we see here then that um, um, the earth will be praising the Lord. Uh, other verses, other psalms talk about this. I think, I think I'm not sure, there's your song or somebody, every knee will bow. Is that what you sang, Steve? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, okay? And that's what's going to happen 
in the millennial kingdom. I mean, again, we, we've talked about this before. I think I said it last week. There's this feigned obedience. The unbelievers out there, they've got to obey. They've got to obey or else there'll be consequences. So there's this feigned obedience. But every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, whether in heaven or on the earth or under the earth. That that's, that is what is going to happen. A couple more Psalms. Psalm 57. Psalm verses 7 to 11. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises. Awake my glory, awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above the earth. I love this prayer. It should be our prayer. And what he says here is that we should be telling God. It's like a commitment in our heart that we're going to, uh, sing to him, and we're going to uh, shout to him, and we're going to say to him that that's what we should commit to do. And we should pray then for the glory of the Lord then to fulfill up the earth, right? We should pray that. Now, this I've said this before, but I want this to be in your head, firm and strong. The Lord's Prayer, what does it say? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Probably the most famous prayer in all the world. And what's it praying about? about the kingdom age to come. Most people don't even know that. They don't understand it. They might sort of know it, but I'm trying to help you understand it. This millennial kingdom age to come. I'm here, Lord, and I'm living for you, and I'm doing what you want me to do, but man, I I sure would like your kingdom to come because it's sort of hard living on this earth. That's a great prayer. It's an important prayer. Your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Important. So pray that. This is what we should pray. This is encouraging then. Because we're going to see, again, these verses here, this is where one of those verses, well, it doesn't really talk about the future, but look at verse 9. I will give thanks to you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Can you imagine what you're going to be like during the millennial kingdom when you're fully glorified, perfect? You'll be doing that wholeheartedly all the time, singing. You can fly any place in the world any time. Well, I'm sure God will give you instructions, but I mean, wherever you're at, you can sing Praises to the Lord among the nations and among the people. This is great stuff. You're not doing it now. You're not going all the world praising God, are you? Hopefully you're praising God where you live, but this is, this is global stuff. This is your future. This is, that's why I say, okay, you can say it relates to back then. It does, but really it's prophetic. It's prophetic. And it's going to really be seen, really seeing the fulfillment of these verses and many others like it in the kingdom age to come. Psalm 65. 65. I'm not going to read this psalm. Again, this is one of those psalms where you say, well, there are there words about the future? Does it say the king is going to reign in the future? No, it doesn't say that. But what you read, it's obvious that it's speaking about God's blessing upon mankind and upon this earth. And what is said here is not happening now, okay? To some degree, to a limited degree. And, and part of what God wants to do is he wants Christ to come and reign on this earth so we can see what it should be like. Right now it's partly happening. We all know that. Even in our own lives. How are you doing as a Christian? Oh, I'm doing so-so. I, I'm doing all right. Not every, not every day, but you know. You'll, that, you'll all say that, right? None of you will say, I had a perfect day today and all week was... None of you say that. You know that. But in the future, we'll say that. Man, it was a perfect week. It was a fantastic, perfect month, perfect year. See, that's the idea. Is, is, is we see this, but here he's talking about Zion, um, 
He speaks of Jerusalem, says, Jesus, our king will be there. He'll be feared and he prays. He says he'll forgive those unbelievers who want to be forgiven. And, and you see, as you go to, well, look at this next week, but Psalm 87 is a classic little psalm about people being born again during the millennial kingdom. So this one will be born there and that one will be born there, being born, born again, okay? So people will be saved during the millennial kingdom. We sang Psalm 98, right? His salvation be seen out to the ends of the earth. Psalm verses 2 and 3, I believe it was. So people will be getting saved. Um, it says there in these verses, the first few verses, he'll bless and satisfy those people who come to him. And he'll show them his goodness and his power and his peace. That is, that is, God wants to bless people. But there will be unbelievers on earth during the millennial kingdom, and they will not. They may feign obedience, they may feign worship, but they're not really going to be coming to God. But those who come to him, he will bless, he will satisfy. That's what's going to happen. We read in these verses that he's the trust. He's the one that people all over the world then will be looking to. It'll be obvious. I mean, I mean right now, it's, it's interesting because so many people in the world, and we at times, even as Christians, we go along and we sort of ignore God. Not that we want to ignore God or purposely. We just do. We're just flesh, and we just, just go along, don't think about God. And, and But then everybody in the world will be aware there is a God, and there is Christ, and he's in Jerusalem, he's alive, and he's, you know, he's in charge. It'll be so obvious. Now it's not obvious. But it should be obvious, but it isn't because we're flesh. But in the future, we will see him. And we see his power over nature uh, in these verses. You all know the story. Remember when Jesus was in the boat? This is Mark 4, maybe, the Gospels. But anyway, he's in the boat with the disciples, and what happens? Big storm comes down, and where's Jesus? He's sitting in the back of the boat. He's got his head in the cushion. He's fast asleep. He's worn out. I mean, he's pretty tired. He's sleeping. And they, wake up, Jesus, wake up. we got a problem here, you know. And, and he wakes up and stops the storm, you know, and, and so we see that. In fact, even it's this, this, it's really, it's really, I, I, God is, I don't know why God does things. So you got this Hurricane Eta, Eta, how do you say it? it? About two weeks ago, it slammed into Nicaragua, or to Category 3 or something. So you, did, you watch, did you watch the weather this morning? You see what's going on? Iota's coming to same place, about the same place, only now it's predicted to be a Cat 4. You're going to hit that east side of, of Nicaragua. So I don't know, I was looking at the map this morning to see how populous it was. Is there a lot of people there or not? And, and But Giovanni was telling me before, he says, people there are sort of worn, and, and I think a lot of them fled because of Eta, and now they're, here's Iota coming a couple weeks later, but, but boy. But the point is this. Christ could stop. I mean, you look at the maps. I, 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 I like to look at these maps. This huge storm. You look at the radar maps. Wow, this is a big system. And it's getting stronger, and it's going to slam into Nicaragua, head on, straight on. And the wraparound winds are going to come to the north side, because you have Nicaragua down here, and Honduras sits right on top, if you look at the map. Nicaragua was here, Honduras right on top, and the, it's coming, and, and, and the winds are going to wrap around, because, you know, they're counterclockwise. It's, wow, it's going to slam into it. It's, it's not going to be good. Now, God will have mercy, of course, but the point is, he is powerful. He could stop that if he wanted. And so, you know, you ask, well, are there going to be hurricanes and earthquakes in the millennial kingdom? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that's that's what I'm trying to say here. We're going to see a beautiful world. You know, you can see the farmers really happy because their produce is, is great. Everything is, is going well. It talks about the land. And and the point here is that we have this wonderful future. And Psalm 65 might be to some degree true today, but you see it's real fulfillment in the age to come. That's the point. That's the point here. So you, you read these. So again, we've just looked. We're through 65. We've got to go through the rest next week, but I want to just finish the couple verses. Go to Ephesians 1. and I, These are some of my favorites when we talk about prophecy. Ephesians 1, 9 to 11. It, it tells you what God is doing now 
Ephesians 1, I want you to see these. If you've got a Bible, turn there. Ephesians 1, 9 to 11. Verse 9 says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed into him, in, in him with a view, he's looking ahead, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. That time when Christ will be king. Okay, that's all, it's clearly. Then verse, next verse, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, that inheritance idea, truth, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. That's another sovereignty verse, a great one, like Romans 8.28. He's working all things together for your life and all over the world to bring us to that point when he will come back and he'll set up his kingdom. It's all going to happen. All things. That's what it says there, right? It says all things. Yep, all things. It means everything. Everything. Every little thing in your life. Every big thing. Everything in the world, in the city, in the country. Everything. Everything. All things. He's in charge. Let me go. Continue on. Verse 21. Let 20. It says, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This age, this age right now, this church age, the one to come is the millennial kingdom age, right? That's what it says. Okay, let's continue. Chapter 2, verse 7. Uh, verse 6. Raise us up, Christ, raise us up with him and see us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come. What's that mean? Wow. Ages means what? At least two. Now, far as I understand from this verse and from Revelation 20, 21, and 2, there's only two more ages to go. And I could be wrong, but it says here the ages. So the one to come, which is the millennial kingdom age, and then I call the next age after that, the eternal kingdom. So this is a big picture. This is Ephesians 1. This is a basic chapter about your life, your salvation, and the future and the hope that you have. Finally, one verse more than we're done. Verse 18, chapter 1. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So we have this hope. We've talked about it today, right? We've talked about it before. We'll talk about it again next week. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you know the hope of your calling. You can know this in your head, but it's not going to affect how you live your life today. I said live your life in view of the future unless this truth is in your heart. And only God can do that. I can't do it. I can preach, but I cannot. I can't change your heart. So the point I'm saying here is this is the, maybe one of the most important applications of our message today. You be praying that the truth that we're talked about talking about here, it becomes real in your heart because that then will affect how you live today. It really will. And you start thinking, wow, I'm in this church age here, 70, 80, 90 years, whatever. And then I die or raptured, whatever. And then the next age to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time you've given us. Indeed, we are blessed to know that you've shared with us truth about our present life, about the future. And even though you don't give us all the details, you give us enough to be excited, to be encouraged, to be looking forward, to be wanting, to be watching expectantly uh, these things, and, and to think that, that now we know we're in the end times, the Jewish people have come back to their land, there's 6.16 million people over there at this time, we know that we 
are living in these days when it'll be more and more apparent as time goes on. As it says in Hebrews chapter 10, 25, we will see the day of the Lord drawing near and near. We'll see it, and we can see it now. And as time goes on, it'll be more clear. Yep, Christ has come back. It's not going to be long, whether it's in one year, 20 years, or 50. I don't know. But but it, it's going to happen sometime in the future. It might not be in my life. I have to think it's going to be in ones who are younger in this room, for sure. But thank you, Father, for your love. I pray that you'd help us to be living today, help us to be walking by faith, not by sight, to put our, 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 our trust in you. Lord, things take place every day, things that are hard. It might be health, it might be financial, it might be relational, it might be work situation. Lord, whatever, help us to be ones who are trusting you and living for you. Help us then, too, to be, as it says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God, referring there to the spiritual kingdom, we now live in this church age. We're to be talking to others about you, Lord Jesus, and how you died for our sins. You paid the price and rose again. And all those then who repent of their sins and put their trust in you and you only, they will be forgiven and, and will live forever, have eternal life, and will then experience these things we talked about here in these ages to come. But thank you, Father Grin, for your love. Thank you for this year. It's been a hard year for many of us here. It's been not the kind of year we were looking forward to or expecting. And and, and But we can always be filled with joy no matter what the circumstances. Consider all joy when you encounter various trials, the trials of 2020 and the trials of this COVID virus. Consider all joy that we as Christians can live above the circumstances of the difficulties of the trials of life. We can do it by your grace. So do that, Father. Help us to be filled with your grace and peace and strength, to be loving you, living for you, being witnesses, uh, lights of the world, it says in Matthew chapter five uh, salt of the earth thank you again now for this church here everyone everyone who couldn't make it here everyone who's out watching this some other place lord pray for all these believers pray god for your will to be done pray for this election too it's a little bit mess messy uh god we know that you're in charge you will bring things to pass in the way that you want in the days and weeks ahead we bless you for that but thank you again now for this time we pray all this in jesus name